All right. Well, again, guys, I appreciate y'all joining us today. I want to remind y'all that if you happen to miss this class or there was a comment or something that somebody said that you want to go back and check out, you can find our classes on our church website. They're pretty easy to find. Uh, and if you need any help with that, grab me after class, shoot me an email, kevin at kingscrossingcoc.com, or you can uh, talk to one of the folks in the, in the office as well. So... Let me start off with a question. Does anybody here collect anything? Show of hands, do you collect anything? Okay, what do you collect? Firearms. Firearms. Paychecks. Paychecks. <laughs> and the church said, amen. <laughs> Debt. <laughs> kind of this, maybe draw a healthy balance there. Anybody else, anything else, what do you collect? Postmarks. Postmarks. Post marks, not cards. Is there? What's the difference? Help me. You have to mail it. You have to mail it. Okay. All right. Matchbooks since I was a kid. Matchbooks. Are, I got a tub full of them. Yeah. 60, I hate to say, sixty years almost. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll since I was a kid, can I, carry. I'll edit that out in the recording so nobody knows exactly how long you've been collecting matchbooks. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, right, yeah. Sure, yeah. It, it, Sean, is that how it started for you, Matchbox, Matchbooks? No, and then? <laughs> but I'm just thinking kind of the other direction, like collecting up and up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been a lit match if it was Matchbooks. Yeah, there you go. Anybody else? Anything else? Michael, yes, sir. Um, my wife and I, as a couple, we collect, um, what do you call this, uh, playing cards from any place that we go. Oh, okay, just like yeah. regular little deck so of cards, those, playing cards. We, Oh, okay. And then myself, I actually collect um, Legos. Legos. Lego. Specifically Lego. Lego. Yes. In the singular. Legos is, in, is incorrect. The plural of Lego is Lego. <laughs> All right. Now this is I I I like to collect uh, grammar lessons. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just like the pl- plural of Jedi is Jedi. Sure. Okay. Anyway, um, what makes something valuable? History, nostalgia. History, nostalgia, yeah. What a willing seller, a willing buyer will pay a willing seller. A willing buyer will pay a willing seller, yeah. Oh, again, by the way, I, I'm going to repeat what y'all say, mostly for the sake of the recording, just so everybody can hear. We've also got our fan blowing a little bit today, so it might be a little hard to hear, but we won't be roasting hot. So thank you, Dion. Let's give it up for Dion to bring bringing that fan in here. <laughs> so, okay, it's uh, anybody else? Why? Like, what makes something valuable? What makes these things that you collect something worth collecting? Family collect. Family. family? Connection. Okay, right. Sentimentality. Yeah, absolutely. And again, family connection. Yeah. It's Nobody. You put value to. Something you put value to. Right. Yeah. You're not somebody else, but what you value. Right. That's a good one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially there's something that's very special to you that, you know, somebody might want it because they think it looks nice or whatever. Right. But, you know, this it's yours and it has this connection that it just it wouldn't make sense to sell it. It it would almost feel wrong to sell it. Some things tie all those together into three or four different aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. The importance that you place on it, not just the value. 
value and importance, very much so. Yeah. Uh, what about the fact that it might be rare? Yeah. Kind of one of a kind. Okay. I'm surprised that nobody in here said cars. They collect cars. Stephen Johnson does. Stephen Johnson. <laughs> friends who do that. Friends who collect cars. Yeah, that's fair. Matchbox yeah. cars. Matchbox cars, right. That's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's. Um, I, I had some other things on here. Um, what makes something valuable? It's rare. Maybe it's well crafted, right? Talk about uh, somebody who's got. Um, Got a really somebody who spent a really long time building up a, a a really big collection of something. They might have some antique pieces or something along those lines. Yeah, um, maybe sometimes it's just something useful. You collect something because it's useful. Well, that's the case. I collect tools. Tool. <laughs> yeah, collect tools. Yeah. Can you do anything with dust bunnies? Yes. We've got a, got a lot of those around. Those used to be art for a while. <laughs> Okay. Incorporates everything. My grandfather was a World War One. Yeah. Okay. I've got his service photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other little things. Um, World War One bayonet, an yeah. American-made one, and a British-made one. Stuff okay. Like that, but it ties history, military, family, service, um, kind of all those things. Yeah. So something like that really reinforces. I wouldn't sell any of that to anybody for anything. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah some things I would say collecting. You know, collecting implies you're getting more up. Sure. Yeah. But uh, this, my scout stuff, I still have. I mean, that was a long time ago, 50 years long yeah. ago. But a memorable time. Right. I yeah. have all the merit badges, mm-hmm. the sash, and the neckerchiefs, and all that. Yeah. Uh, I still have it in a box, and, the, and uh, it'll be my grandchildren. I'll have to throw it away, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, let's turn this around a bit. I've asked, why are these things valuable? You can probably ask, you can probably figure out what I'm going to ask next. When do you feel most valuable? I, I use the word feel, okay, we're going to have to talk about that kind of stuff. When do you feel most valuable? When your ideas are appreciated, yeah. yeah. Especially them. as an author, that's a big thing. Yeah, very much so. When you help somebody. When you help somebody, being yeah. Useful. Being useful, very much so, yeah. Solve a major problem at work. Solving you know, problems. Nobody else seems to have gotten. Yeah. When I come home from being on the road for three weeks and my kids rush out. Man, yeah. That's that's Absolutely. Cool. Come home from being gone for a while. I was... Uh, I was gone just for a few hours yesterday afternoon, getting my slides put together for uh, for this morning. And I came in the house, and both of them come, uh, both Samuel and Pete come tearing around the corner. Daddy, daddy, daddy! And you know, you always got to kind of turn slightly because they're about yay high. (laughs) Nobody wants to drop to the ground when they come in for a big hug. And they just came and gave me a big bear hug. It's like, oh, my boys, they love me. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I know that's a thing. That's a thing. We're gonna. I'll just have to look for the dog <laughs> to, to, to do that when the boys are. <laughs> I like that. Yes, sir. Yeah.
Um, it's it's not even that they need my help, it's that they want it. You yeah. know they can do it, but they want you yeah. to be a part of whatever that thing is. Just be a part of what you're doing. Yep. I'll, I'll participate in that with you. Whatever that is, I'm there. Yeah. And so there's there's something about that you begin to feel that appreciation. Very much so. So it's still there. Yep. It just comes in a different form. Or when someone tells you something in the past really that you did influence them and, and you had Right, you had no idea. Right. You know, you're just tootling along doing your thing in life and you know, just being you. You made a significant impact yeah. on somebody. Yeah, that's a when it, on on the rare moments when I hear something like that, I remember thinking, goodness, did I even say that? <laughs> did I that sounds really like a nice thing. It was that me? <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. And that is a tremendous value to each individual. Yep. Pat has basically led us to my next question. Gene, did you have a comment? Yes, sir. I, yeah. I, I'm bagging on myself a little bit. Oh, a couple of years ago, I was born in the yard, and I blew something in the next door neighbor's backyard. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You know, uh, I totally forgot. I'd forgotten about I mean, that. I'm bragging on myself because it's just something that kind of came over me and go through it. Yeah. Uh, it needed to be done. Didn't even think about the, no. the past. Just no. said, hey, this guy needs help. And yeah. like, I'm not going to worry about how he treated me. I'm not going to yeah. remember. That's good. That's good. Gina, uh, I like the direction that went. When you said you were about to brag on yourself, I thought I might have to pause the recording so we, didn't, we wouldn't save that. I don't have that much to brag about. <laughs> but Pat has anticipated my next question. So we talked about things that, like, what do you do that makes you feel valuable? We talked about you know, coming home and, and, and being loved, talked about solving problems, producing, performing at a high level, just being included, things like that. My next question was, it, are those things what make you valuable? The production and the performance and the problem solving, those things are not what make you valuable, right? No. That's what Pat said. What makes you valuable? God's based on valuable from the very beginning. Absolutely. Gene's nailed it on the head here. The simple fact that we are created in God's image. Chances are... It might make some of us a little uncomfortable to hear that there is nothing you can do to be more loved by God than you are. Because I want to do something and earn it, right? I want to earn that. I want to earn the praise. If somebody comes up and tells me, hey, you did a good job with this, I really hope that they're not just blowing smoke at me. I hope that they actually mean it. Because I hold myself to a pretty high standard. And if somebody just come over to me and say, oh, hey, that was great. You can usually tell when somebody's just fooling you. Because you ask them, what did you like about it? Oh, just everything. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah, you weren't paying attention. Guys, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Was that? Going deep in there today. Yeah. Guys. Yep. We started the beginning. I'm, I'm telling the, the more, I've said this before in a couple of classes, the more I understand Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the more I find myself teaching out of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 because there's, there's so much there that I, may, I, I missed growing up. And I, goodness, I was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I was growing up. I call them speed bump verses. Just kind of hop right over them. Yeah, that's right. We just. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Turn to verse twenty-six. We're not going to start that far in the beginning. <laughs> Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in his, own, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does it mean to be created in God's image? What he wanted us to be like him. We're like him. That's what he wanted us to be. These are all good, solid answers. Chip off the old block, yeah. Since we're talking about uh, creation, the apple that didn't fall far from the tree, <laughs> as opposed to that other apple that we're not going to read about today. Right, right, not in this one, yeah. Like in his, like his glory. Created in his glory. No, like, all of these are correct. There's a little hint of something, like almost like a piece of him, sure, yeah. We have a soul, yeah. We're rational creatures. Michael, yes, sir. The, the way I've come to this is through years of conversation with different people. But for me, in looking at when God says, let's create, us, create, them, create them in our image, there's, there's the obvious one, the head, two arms, legs, and we know that that's not it. Right, it probably doesn't mean that... We know that that's not it, so what else... God looks like us. And so, when you look across the earth and, and all the creatures that he devised, there's only one that can continuously um, synthesize new information. One that can generate knowledge and pass it on and to generate new knowledge that wasn't there before. They can follow, yeah. Um, yeah. And so that certainly has an aspect of this rationality to it that yeah. seems to be unique to humans. Yeah, yeah. and so it's this interesting part of it is, I hate to use the term that, that we create things, because to me, create is a word reserved for God. Sure. But we invent things, we generate things. So yeah, we that's fair. Symbol. A symbol? Yeah. yeah symbology is a huge one, because yeah. no other has created a written language, developed a written language. We're, we're it. Yeah. Um, they have ways of communicating verbally. Right. Um, yeah. And that's been shown over and over and over again with various species. But human beings are the only ones that have been able to, 
do what they've done yeah. and, and redefine their environment unlike any other creature. That gets us to this word image that we see here in Genesis 1. According to kind of the standard dictionary of Hebrew and Aramaic that that uh, that I've been using for the last uh, few years now people being the image of God means that we are his representatives it's almost like a it's almost like a political term you're a viceroy or an ambassador or something like that you are God's representative humans as God's image are God's representatives on earth and check this look at what he says here in verses uh, 20 uh, verse 26 and verse 28 specifically verse 28 be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it subdue doesn't just mean you know exist you've got a responsibility and that responsibility is to reign to rule over earth in the way that God would want you to do that that's what it means to be an image of God you as a human being created in the image of God have an incredible responsibility you're not just an accident right right despite what your parents might have told you <laughs> or your older or brother or somebody you're not just an accident you as a human being are actually created as God's image as a representative of God himself not God himself right and that's where we, people get into a lot of trouble when they try to play God himself but as a representative of God himself when God created everything was everything good Hear a lot of yeses. Yes. Maybe there's one thing that isn't good. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Man like adult female No. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. After God has created everything good, and if you notice, in Genesis chapter 1, God pronounces things are good a certain number of times. Does anybody want to take a stab at how many times that is? Seven. Is anybody surprised at seven? <laughs> it's seven. In Genesis chapter 1, God pronounces things are either good or very good. The seventh thing is very good. But then look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And you know the rest of the story. We've never had peace since. Dogs came into a second place, a, a close but still distant second place for best helper. All right. What specifically is not good? Adam's solitude, man being alone, okay? And as the first man, Adam is probably kind of a representative for how the rest of us are. Okay, yeah. Could, could God 
have created Adam and Eve at the same time? I think so. Do we need to do a show of hands? I think so. I think God could have created Adam and Eve at the same time. So why do you think he created Adam first and then let Adam see what creation was like before he created Eve? What do you think God was up to? He had a job to do. He had to name all the animals. Adam had a job to do and he needed to name all the animals. (laughs) And so according to... I'm going to have to do a lot of editing on the recording. I don't know that God does things by accident. It's possible. I, I kind of feel like God might have known what he was doing from the start. Adam could have learned to be thankful for what he's been given. Good point, Gavin. Very much so. Jamie said it's far easier to be thankful when you know what you don't have. Yeah. Made one out of the other. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so, uh, to me, it's we. You now understand, Adam, what your role is as human being, and now here is female to come with you, and, and maybe it is to make him appreciate that man and woman we both have a role in this stewardship. Of I really like the word that Jeff has used here. He describes that uh, the man and woman's role over mm-hmm. creation is an is a role of stewardship. You have something that doesn't totally belong to you because it belongs to God, right? But it is still your responsibility to handle this kind of thing correctly. Elders know this kind of thing very well when it comes to church money. This is not your money, right? This is actually God's money, and you need to use this kind of thing well. And that problem isn't just the case with elders, but it's also the case with any Christian, really, especially when it comes to money. I think God wanted to show Adam that his relationship with Eve is unique among all creation. In a world untouched by sin, something was still not optimal. Think about that for a second. Sin has not entered the world just yet in Genesis 2, but there's still something not quite optimal. Something isn't exactly as it could be. I'm not a biologist, but I, that makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, I've been wanting to work that in all morning. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And so the bottom line is this. Oh, before I get to the bottom line, Paul. Yes, sir. Uh, I was just going to also mention that maybe, if you would, God wanted a little bit of exclusive time with Adam to build that relationship. Interesting point. Establish a competing relationship. Mm, interesting point. Yeah, perhaps... God wanted Adam there to, to kind of teach him. 
And so then Adam maybe would then teach Eve, and then they would teach on down the line. That's an interesting point. I hadn't, hadn't considered that before, but that, it's reasonable. Yeah, very much so. But I think the bottom line is this, at least what I'm trying to get to for us today is this. You already know this, but I think we need to hear it pretty regularly. Down to the very fabric of creation, we are created to be and to have relationships with others. That doesn't make you weak. Okay? That doesn't make you weak. Since in the very beginning of creation itself, untouched by sin, God saw that a single solitary person was not optimal. It wasn't sinful. It just wasn't optimal. And so you were created to need a relationship or, as we all know, relationships in general. Interpersonal relationships and obviously relationship with God. Yes, sir. You know, when you're all by yourself, the only person you have to talk to is you. The conversation gets boring real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you came yeah. along and gave him a different perspective that they could talk about. I think so. And a relationship and sharing with one another. Yeah. I like how you put that, Pat. Relationship of sharing. Well, God, God knew that he was from, even before he created Adam, he knew that the son, his son, was going to be awkward long time after that. Yeah. So, there had to be sin in the world sometime. Mm, eventually it shows up. Sometimes. I mean, he yeah. knew that, and he created this where we had a choice. And so he knew how we, he already knew how this was going to end up. Right. Yeah. But we don't. God, God's able, obviously able to see a lot more going on than we are. And, and honestly, there are just some things that are not for us to know. Occasionally, angels will show up and they'll talk to prophetic figures in the Old Testament, and somebody will say, Hey, what's going to happen with this? And they, or even Jesus himself, will say, It's not for you to know. It's all these other things. Yeah, you, you know your job, and you need to roll with that. All right, we've got, uh, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. What are the key ingredients to the best relationships? What do you think? What are the key ingredients to the best relationships? Communication. Communication, respect, honesty, trust, trust loyalty. loyalty, understanding, understanding. Patience. patience. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> no, don't pray that prayer unless you mean it. Don't pray that prayer unless you mean it. What about openness? Openness. All right, what about this one? Vulnerability. Don't like that one. I might, I might get hurt if I'm open too much. What does it mean to be vulnerable? Yes, sir. Just an example from my own life. Um, you know, I guess more than a, a little more than a decade ago, um, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and it's kind of one of those things where you just don't—you don't know how to realize that. You know, my wife is the one who sees these things. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that culminated in me finally going to a doctor, finally talking to people, and things like that. But it's—but it was the acknowledgement of my wife 
you know, acknowledging that my wife was being as open and as honest and as truthful as she could be. Yeah. Um, even to the point of, of hurting my own personal self-esteem. Yeah. And saying, there's something wrong with you. And until you admit that there's something wrong with you, you can't be helped. Yeah. And it was when that happened that I opened myself up to it, that I admitted that vulnerability, that I didn't have the armor that I thought I had. Mm -hmm. That's when things got better. Yeah. And so vulnerability is hard to define, but you can see it in your relationships. Yeah. And if you're not willing to open up and let people in to have the conversations that need to be had, then that's that's where you're that's where you're gonna break down. I think it's fair. Mike? Yeah, the when I first first time I ran for office I got creamed. Uh, lost by over twenty points. Yeah. And I went to my friends and asked, why do you think I lost? Now I've decided that my least favorite phrase in the world is, Mike is a friend. <laughs> you, As a friend, I want to give you the brutal your, truth here. You permission yeah. uh, by doing that. And I didn't like what I was hearing, but I did make adjustments. Uh, yeah. to, I don't know how good it is, but the, uh, for what it's worth, I ran again four years later and won 70 to 30. Winning's better than losing. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, yeah. But I tried to pay attention to what people were saying. And at least to some degree, uh, made some adjustments yeah. that helped. But uh, it was obvious there was something wrong because I got beat by a guy who didn't deserve to win. Sure. So you there was a, there was a willingness to be hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tom. There, there was uh, as Michael was closing, he said it was difficult to define. I I, I find it pretty easy to define okay. in terms of everything else that was mentioned. When you have openness, when you have loyalty, when you have trust. It's a willingness to sh show your flank, show your weak spot, yeah. and, and give someone access to that to, to uh, address things that otherwise wouldn't be addressed in general conversation. Yeah. Vulnerability is... Then you accept it, that's right. Vulnerability is a willingness to be hurt. It is risking pain in order to gain or to earn a, a greater quality of relationship with somebody. Letting go of shame. Eventually, yeah, being able to bring that out into the open. All right, how do you, how do you develop trust with someone? Spend a lot of time. Spend a lot of time with them, yeah. The, the, the first time I went to go see a counselor, mm -hmm. we'd get an hour with and I didn't really talk. Yeah. And he didn't really make me. And the second one, same thing. I think I went to three appointments where I barely talked. And if you've had any time with me over the last couple of months since I moved here, you know that's unusual. <laughs> um, and by the fourth one, he he asked me a question that I didn't expect. Yeah. And that's what kind of opened the door. It's you've been able to dig just enough to peel back. To open to, to basically give me the, the ability to open up. Yep. A lot of time. A lot of time. Anything else? I think trust can be built quickly in some cases. It depends on the circumstances you're in. Sure. Being in a life threatening circumstance and being able to depend on a person that you 
wouldn't have trusted that normal situation. If right. Three go much further. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, or a shared uh, history of people in the service. Shared history, very um, much so. Yeah. There's a shared <coughs> risk. Very shared good risk. Story or, or there's a according to general talk about a, a corporal and a lance corporal collusion somewhere. They were two different units, but they had put together on a guard detail, mm -hmm. and it was their their watch. Neither one of them, you know, personally knew one another. And a, a truck bomb comes hauling in, and they knew if, if you got in the compound, everybody's wiped out. And the witnesses of some of the other group from a distance saw they took one look at one another. They put their rifles up their shoulder and they leaned into it and they opened up knowing yeah. that they're not walking away from this. Yeah. yeah. And it was both of them. Neither one of them broke, neither one ran. They didn't know one of them, but it was that sharp, shared uh, discipline yeah. of, of being in a unit in that mindset. And they didn't really even know one of them, but they knew they could count on one another and they knew that everybody was counting on them. All of these things, shared trust, time, willingness to really to jump in to the thick of it. You have to be willing, right, to be open with somebody. I, it's, it's as painful or as frustrating as it might seem, trust really is kind of a two-way street. It does take time. But I think another key to developing trust with others is learning to be honest with yourself. Learning to be honest with yourself. I'm going to ask a question. Do you ever lie to yourself? <laughs> Every time I look in the mirror and say, yeah, that, that looks good. <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> I can still what I, do what I did in the 20-year-old Marine. Yeah. Oh, goodness, yeah. I woke up... Uh, this morning I asked Linnea, is 36 the time when you wake up and there's something new that hurts every day? <laughs> is, that, is that the age where that happens? And she's... Well, and then here's, here's what she said. She, she roasted me afterwards. She was like, no, but it is when you're unhealthy. Woo! She got me. Yeah. I don't, well, Art was sitting there telling me that I, I wouldn't be able to wear a shirt like his. It'd be a little snug on me. To be fair, even a healthy person like Connie, my wife, I mean, she's 66. Yeah. And so it's not. We will keep that inside these doors. Now. I'm going to hold on to uh, I, the lot of editing I need to do for today. Yeah. The, you just age is a record. Yeah. Yeah. Lying to self. Lying to self. It, it is. Denial, yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to give our opinion on everything uh, all the time. But if something makes us feel anger or shame or fear, just off the top of my head, and, and if we behave that we don't really feel those things, Honey, I asked you to do this. Kids, I asked you to do that. Coworker, I asked you to do this. And it was really important for you to do this thing. And you didn't do it. And it's going to make my job a whole lot harder. But it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. No. Fine is just an acronym for fouled up, insensitive, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> if we feel those things that are 
that are real things. And we pretend as if we don't. We're lying to ourselves. Oh, and by the way, we're misusing our emotions, the emotions that God gave us. Right? Your emotions aren't bad. They give you a sense about what's going on in here, and they can also give you a sense about what's going on out there. I feel a sense of fear, or heightened awareness. Something's not right. Our guys in the service know that. Other folks do too. If you ever walk downtown alone at night, you get that. In essence, Yeah, that's pitch blank. Yep. In essence, by lying to ourselves, we are refusing to give ourselves room to grow emotionally. And I hate to put it that way, but that's the honest truth. If I feel a certain way and I tell myself I don't feel that way, and I push it down and shove it down and tell it to shut up, I'm refusing to give myself room to grow. I'm stunting my emotional growth, which has real and terrible effects because it stunts my spiritual growth. By denying the pain we may feel for past mistakes or unreciprocated love from either parents, a spouse, or kids, or whatever, can't we very easily be led to resentment and bitterness, and self-isolation, they're thereby actually reverting away from what God made us to be. People with good, healthy, positive relationships. Show of hands, how many of you know the song I Am a Rock by Simon and Garfunkel? Okay. The uh, millennials and Gen Zers didn't know that song. I'm going to read the lyrics for you. I'm not going to sing it for you. Aww. A winter's day, in a deep and dark November, I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I'm a rock. I'm an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Does that sound like full living to you? Does that sound like a happy life? Goodness, that sucks. That's terrible. That's awful. And yet, so often, right? It's tempting for us to lean into that kind of self-isolation because I haven't... I haven't been given permission to just say, I'm ticked off and I don't really understand why. I'm anxious and I'm bitter and resentful and I just don't get it. Somebody help me. It's too easy for us to just say, 
well, I don't want to be a burden, so I'm just not going to lay this out for you. I, I don't want to bother anybody, so I'm going to keep it up here. But here's the thing, though. You are valuable because God has already said you're valuable. You might not feel it, but chances are the Bible is not lying to you, okay? You are valuable because God's already said you're valuable, all right? Messed up as we are, and goodness, it's not like God doesn't already know all our sins, okay? He knows them better than you do. But God does still love you. God still loves you. And he asks you, he asks you and me to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, with all our capacity to produce and perform and to be valuable. God asks us to love him with all that. And if we can learn to tell the truth about what's in our heart, if we can learn to tell the truth about what we're feeling, and if we can learn to really kind of take responsibility for it and not just let it hide out in the fog and hope that in the darkness something isn't going to come get us, but if we can actually learn to take responsibility for what's in our heart, if we're willing to do the hard work of letting God work through His Spirit and through His people, that's us. If, if I can let God work through each and every one of you guys to gradually shape me into becoming a better man, I'll give you a quick, uh, quick anecdote, and we're just about out of time. Um, last fall, Justin Campbell, our former youth minister, was going to start up a, a life group for guys on Monday nights. is a Monday night football life group. I haven't followed football in years. It's just a part of being in grad school. You know, I'm happy when, the, when Tennessee does well. I'm happy when the Titans do well. But like, I, I hadn't followed football in years. And so when Justin first told me about that, I told him, great, y'all have a good time. And then it hit me. I might actually get to hang out with guys that otherwise I wouldn't normally hang out with. Otherwise, I wouldn't see. And that's exactly what happened. You and I got to be a lot better friends because we were constantly putting stuff together, cleaning up, staying late to clean up. Craig, you and I spent time talking about your mom, seeing how she was doing. Jamie, also, just not a huge football fan, right? But you would be happy to come. Tommy got to come a couple of times. Cardwell got to come a couple of times. Richard, I don't remember seeing you there. <laughs> Call anybody out. But I, in that time together, we were letting God work through His people through something as harm, harmless as watching the Manning brothers commentate on the game. Those walls were breaking down. Craig and I, for example, it wasn't like we had any animosity or anything. We just didn't really know each other. Okay? But if we can let God, if we can step out in trust and let God work through us and His Spirit to start chipping away at those walls. And it might be a long process, just like Andy Dufresne chipping away through his prison cell in Shawshank Redemption. Get busy living. Get busy living or get busy dying. Then 
guys, we will experience, slowly but surely, step by step, piece by piece, aspect by aspect, relationship by relationship, we will experience the quality of life and relationships God always intended for you to have. It's hard and it's tough and it hurts and it's worth it. And it's worth it. Yes, sir. You're kind of describing what if you think of the Dead Sea. Yeah. Why is it dead? Everything is flowing into the Dead Sea, but it has nothing going out. Yeah. So when nothing's going out, you're dying. Just like this John uh, Buckley. He's dying within. Yeah. And, and, and one another thing is when someone denies me a gift or denies me the opportunity to do something, he's denying me the joy of giving. Yeah. And people don't realize, especially Christians don't realize how good it is to give. We are able to do what God called us to do. That's right. My mom used to say many times, you know, a lot of the members of the church would give their shirt off their back that they would lie starving to death in the gutter before they would ever ask for help. Yeah. Denying yep. their brothers and sisters the ability, like you just said. That's the second part of it. It's your responsibility to accept the gift as well as give gifts. It's humbling. It's very yes. But isn't that the kind of person that God calls us to be anyway? Mm -hmm. Guys, I really appreciate y'all's time today.